Hello, and welcome to Virtual CFO Podcast, a show from Financial Goddess about all things business. In this 10 weekly podcast series, we're uh, we're focusing on the topics to help you improve your business and get you ready for 2020. In week one, we're reviewing your business vision and the goals that you set for yourself, your business and finance. We're looking at initial goals versus now and original business plan versus now, whether that's still working for you. In week two, we started the holistic review of your business. So we looked at where you're at at the moment. How is your cash flow going? What phase is your business at, whether you're a startup, growth, maturing business or in decline? We looked at whether your customers are paying you on time. And whether you're taking an advantage of uh, discounts offered by your suppliers and overall your cash flow position. In this morning podcast, we're going to continue with a holistic review of your business part two. So let's get started. Let us now look at your staff turnover. How is your staff turnover? Do you maintain staff loyalty or does your business suffer from high staff turnover? Staff turnover costs business a lot of money and lost productivity. It also costs you the knowledge and capabilities that are leaving your business. Businesses with high staff turnover end up producing lower quality products or service and end up having higher overhead costs. If you think of the whole process of staff recruitment, there's costs involved with placing the ads, There's costs involved with interviewing uh, the person, the right candidates. And then there is a cost involved in training the person in the way that you want your business uh, to be run or managed. Or in training the person in company policies and procedures in how you want them to follow it. The initial signs that the staff are not satisfied with their employment could include things like tardiness, high level of absenteeism, lack of motivation to meet deadlines and ultimately lead to high staff turnover. Hiring staff shouldn't be an expense. Hiring staff should be seen as an investment and as such there should be a due diligence taken from the get-go to make sure that you're hiring the right people with the right skills, the right attitude that can be trained into your business and then care should be taken to ensure that you do what you can as a business to maintain high staff loyalty to the same degree that you pay attention to ensuring high um, customer loyalty. Ideally, when you spend that time recruiting the person and then onboarding them into your business, you want that return on investment, you want that time to pay for itself and that employee to stay long term with the company and grow and help you to recruit new staff. So have a look at your staff turnover and think about it. What can you do to improve uh, the loyalty of your staff? If you are in the business of hiring seasonal workers, that of course doesn't apply to you. If you're working with backpackers, short-term contracts in hospitality industry, that doesn't apply to you. But every other industry you need to really stop and think and look at how long on average does each staff member stay with your company. And also, are you conducting exit interviews to determine what is causing the person to leave the employment? 
There are situations where regardless of what you do, the employee will leave the company and that's beyond your control. Whether it's due to change of their personal circumstances, retirement, relocation, them uh, having a baby, you will have situations even such as mental health issues or long-term medical condition that might prevent them from continuing in their previous roles. In such cases, there's nothing else that you can do to retain that staff member. And those are not a cause of your concern, rather just a normal part of running a business. However, if you have a lot of staff that stay with you for 12 months or less, that should be a red flag for you. You need to look at the process of advertising, recruitment, onboarding, and then the employee experience to determine what can you do better to hire the right fit for your company and to retain the right employees. There could be a number of issues causing you to have high staff turnover and each business is different. So until you dig down into your specific business, you will not be able to just figure it out. And the worst you can do is just assume why staff are leaving. Most of the employers that don't do this exercise, they tend to assume that they, the staff gone with a competition because the pay was better. That is a minority of the employees. Most staff, if you treat them right and they have the positive experience with your company, they are more likely to stay with you long term. So let's start with advertising. Have a look at the ad that you're placing in your local paper or in an online advertising such as a SIG website and determine whether the job description truly matches what you expect of your potential employee. Rather than is it a standard or generic copy and paste template of pre-existing one that has been obtained from Google. Because to attract the right type of candidate, you need to be frank and honest from the get-go of what is the expectation of the role and the specific tasks that they are required to meet. If there is a, a big gap between what you really expect the employee to do and the skills you expect them to have, versus the initial job that you've posted, very quickly that employee, the successful employee will realize that that job is not well expected and they're more likely to leave your company sooner rather than later. The second thing that you need to look at is the proposed remuneration. You have to be fair. You need to look at not just the job title for which you're hiring or the years of experience or education level that the position may require, but also the amount of tasks that the person is going to do. In finance industry, for example, a simple job title like a bookkeeper, the tasks will vary greatly depending on the size of the company that you operate in and the industry, depending also on how big your finance team is. Is your bookkeeper just processing the invoices through the system and processing payments? Or is your bookkeeper doing the whole accounts process from back to front? In some companies, bookkeepers also have internal responsibilities similar to the office manager's role. All of that has to be taken into consideration when you're determining the right remuneration package. Finally, as much as you want the employees or the potential candidates to be honest in their resumes, you have to be honest in your advertising and in your interview process 
in relation to expectations. For example, don't say that it's a relaxed work culture if it's not. Don't say that you offer family work-life balance if every time the person needs to take uh, their children to the doctors or they need time off from work, it is going to be an issue for your company. Be honest and upfront from what you expect. If your company is one that can't afford for people to take time off from work and you need them to be hardworking and committed to the business, then that is what you need to advertise. If your business is fast-paced and you need somebody that can multitask, list that. If your company truly is uh, one that promotes family life or work-life balance, then you need to make sure that you have accurate policies and procedures that back that up and that all your managers are trained to understand that that's your company culture to ensure that the employee experience is one that has been advertised to them. Now, when it comes to making a final decision between your top two or three uh, candidates, usually when you get to that point, they all have the qualifications that you require of them and you might be struggling between picking the right fit. Some of them will be lacking in one area or the other. And at that point in time, you're trying to make a, the right decision who would stay long-term with your company may feel like a gamble. My advice to you is skills is something that you can train a person, attitude isn't. So I'll give you an example. If you're struggling between two candidates and one seems to be lacking a particular skill, say the software that your company is using. But you can say that they're keen learner, they're fast learner from the previous track record, they were amb ambitious, they're doing very well, switched on young individual versus another candidate that has experience using the software package that your company offers. But you can say that they're a bit relaxed or there's other red uh, flags around them, maybe they enjoy partying too much. Maybe they're jumping between companies too often. They're not sure why they want to work for you, etc. Then my advice to you would be get the person that doesn't have experience in your business software and take the time to teach them because skills is something that is teachable and attitude isn't. You cannot change somebody's attitude. If they do not care about your business, if they don't care about their professional career, you can't change that. And you putting time and effort and money into sitting down with them and addressing those issues is generally a time and money wasted. Versus an employee who has the right attitude from the get-go, all they need is for you to sit down and you know, train them in the particular software or somebody else in your company or external party to train them in a particular software and the return on investment from that employee will be much higher. Another thing to then look at is once you've gotten the right employee into your company, what is your onboarding and training process like? The companies that truly take their time at the beginning and spend the initial one to two weeks training the employee in the company policies and procedures, giving them the time to know their department and their task and how it sits within the bigger picture of the company when they take their time to explain the company culture and the company vision, these are the companies that do a lot better with retaining staff loyalty. On the other hand, if your company is one that doesn't do that and you expect employees to just come in and because they have an experience working in a similar role, 
you wrongfully assume that they can just come in, jump in, go through the previous person's notes and carry on with the task. There's a higher degree of dissatisfaction within those employees. And the reason being is because they start to struggle with the frustration. For example, the documentation that you're required to keep in your business or your response to the customers or the time frame for their response could be very different to the company that they're coming from. The time frames within which you operate and the way that your customers are used to interacting with your business will be very different to what the employee is coming from. Even though they might have years of experience in that particular role or different, it's taking the time to understand how things need to be done and why they need to be done that way. Not only does that avoid the frustration for the individual employee, but it also helps you to ensure that your customer experience is always maintained to the same standard. And when we talk about customers, it's not just your employees that deal with external customers. We're talking about internal customers and we're talking about dealing with other departments within your organization. Without appropriate training and onboarding, that employee will result into using the skills, the systems and the methods that they know from their previous job, which may not be the way that you want them to respond and interact with any of the stakeholders. Rather than putting that new employee in a position where they're being reprimanded by their direct manager for having the wrong approach or the wrong ton of email being sent out or the wrong way of doing things or filing things, it's best to take your time at the early stages to make sure that they fully understand what is expected of them and how things are done in your business your way. Finally, you want to turn your employees into your biggest fans. At the end of the day, they are the ones that spend most times working in and for your business. So you want them to understand the company culture. You want to spend your time with them and getting them as excited about your products and services as you are yourself as the business owner. You want them not to be forced to talk about your company, but for them to want to talk about your company to anyone that they come across. A happy employee and an employee that is proud of their organization and what that organization stands for and what they do within their community is one that will happily be giving you the extra time and will go the extra mile for your business. A happy employee is the one that might come up with suggestions of how we can do things better, how we can improve, whether it is part of their job or not. You want those kind of employees. You want employees that will stay with your company and that will promote your business. Last but not least, don't discourage the feedback, whether the employee is new or not. One of the common mistakes that people make is when they hear some sort of feedback or criticism from an employee, a lot of uh, lower or middle-end managers do tend to crush it down by saying, well, that's not your area of expertise or that's not what you're hired here to do or you're not hired to do the thinking, leave the thinking to the big guys. You know, there's a lot of feedback like that. Sometimes it is really good for your business to have the fresh set of eyes come in, see things from a different perspective and give you that feedback because that's the only way that your business can continue to grow. I'd say to you, Encourage every single employee 
to be giving you the feedback about the company. It doesn't mean that every single feedback that you will receive, that that's how you will change your company. But don't disregard it. Don't squash the potential talents. Don't squash the potential feedback. You never know where the next best idea is going to come from. And doesn't always have to be from your top management. Sometimes it's the guys that are working in the ground. It's the guy that is working in the warehouse that will know how his job can be improved and how you can improve efficiencies within his department. It's that the salesperson at the cash register that can see the challenges and the frictions within their role on the day-to-day -day basis that might have the solutions of how their job can be done better. So don't disregard the staff feedback encourage it even if it's a new employee and one where you're not quite sure where you, whether they understand your company culture or policies don't be afraid to take the feedback on board and if you feel that their feedback is misguided don't be afraid to use that as a learning lesson and correct their way of thinking and advise them of why you do the things that you do why is it done a certain way or perhaps the idea that they've come up with You've already tried that and that didn't work out that well. Give them that feedback. Use that as a learning opportunity to help to develop your stuff. Finally, respect your employees and understand that as much as they're employees for your company and as much as you might have very committed and dedicated stuff, at the end of the day, they are humans. They have families and other commitments and responsibilities. They might have their own personal mental health or physical issues um, that they are struggling and don't expect more of an employee than what they can give. Don't abuse the employees that are happy to stay back without acknowledging it in some shape or form. Salaried employees, of course, that work outside of their hours, they don't get paid for the extra hours that they stay back. There's plenty of ways that you can acknowledge and appreciate your employee that doesn't always mean automatically converting that into cash. You can always acknowledge and appreciate your employee in many different ways. For example, it starts with a very simple feedback, like when you're leaving your office and you're seeing that an employee is still working on a report, staying back, and you know you're not paying them for that time. They've got somewhere to be, they've got other responsibilities and commitments. Acknowledge that. When you walk out the door, just say, thank you for staying back, I really appreciate it. And don't expect that to happen every single day. If you see that you have an employee that is working long hours for extended periods of time and you see that they're not taking the lunch breaks, for example, take your time, have a five minute chat with them, asking them what's going on. Sometimes the reason that people have to work long hours is due to inefficient systems or processes and that particular employee might be frustrated with the way they need to do things and they might have a better solution of how you can improve your business and your efficiencies to make their job easier. Sometimes you might learn from that conversation that as your business has been successful and it has been growing, due to the volume increase in the work, you now need to hire more people to support that individual role. So having that five to 10 minute chat with an individual and ensuring that as a boss, you do pay attention. It not only shows them that you do care about them and you're aware about your business and about your employees, 
but also you can learn quite a lot from the short conversations that you might have with your staff. Also, on another note, if you have an employee that does take their time and stays back for you and stays over time, don't give them the hard time the one day that they show up late to work. Don't give them the hard time because they had you know, two days of sick leave off at the same time. This relationship needs to work two ways. Your employee is not just a robot hired to do the job. So if they see that that flexibility and understanding goes two ways, they will appreciate it and they will stay loyal to your business for a lot longer. Finally, let's address the big elephant in the room, and that's the money. From my 17 years of experience, no employee that was actually worth their pay would argue that pay during the job interview. So what I mean by that is very often, especially for uh, professional roles, when you go for a job interview, there is that price negotiation point that is happening. Employee, there's a difference between employee knowing their worth and an employee trying to rip your company off. And it's a fine art trying to determine that during job interview. I would say to you, employees that up the front start talking themselves up and asking for the top range of the salary without proving to you their capacity to do the job are the employees that you should stay away from. It doesn't matter how great the resume looks and how great the references are, because as we all know, there are people that lie about their resumes and fake their references. It's about that person earning the remuneration within your company. It's about that person during their probation period working hard to prove their worth so you can then review their salary and remunerate them according to that. So when you're first hiring an employee, you would determine the remuneration payable based on the years of experience, the role they're applying for and the qualifications. But you would never pay them the top end and you would never negotiate in their contract high bonuses and, and things like that until that employee proves themselves. They have six months probation in Australia. You use that six months to see what that person is made of, to see how they fit with your company culture, to see their work ethics and to truly be able to test the technical skills or knowledge for which you have hired them to do. At the end of the six months probation, you then have the opportunity to sit down with that employee and show them that you acknowledge the contribution that they've done to, the, to your business and you can then reward them accordingly. Those that are not prepared to work hard and prove themselves for your business from the get-go, you should stare away from them as far as possible because these are the employees that will only be with your company because unfortunately, you're the one that is willing to pay the highest amount of dollars. That will never gain you loyalty because long-term, there will always be someone out there that will be willing or able to pay them more. And that's not a way that you can purchase uh, loyalty. Now, moving on from staff turnover issues, if you are interested to learn more about what you can do or if you want to do a discovery session with myself and review the causes for your business and high staff turnover, please feel free to get in touch with me. 
My email is margaret.miluti at gmail.com. You can also uh, contact me through a Facebook page. So it's facebook.com forward slash virtual CFO and business consultant. Or you can call my office on 074080-7369 to schedule your complimentary discovery session. If you're in Australia, we can do it face-to-face -face over the phone. And for our overseas or international customers, we offer a Skype consultation. The next on our list of holistic review of your business, we need to look at your product or service. So how is the quality of your product or service out there? Have you reviewed complaints or compliments received from customers? And I don't mean, have you had a customer service manager review them? I mean, have you personally reviewed them? Have you looked at the social media accounts and had a look at the feedback that has been left about your company? Whilst the customer service manager can do a very good job following up with these things on a day-to-day -day basis and dealing with every customer case by case, at the end of the day, there is a little bit of conflict of interest when it comes to reporting those matters to you based on their KPIs. And for that reason, I would encourage every business owner and every CEO to make sure that from time to time, you type in the name of your business in Google and have a look at the overall word of mouth. What is the community saying about your business? What are they saying about your product or service? Have a look at your business Facebook page. Have, you, have a look at Twitter accounts. Talk to the customers directly. Walk through the sales floor. Talk to your individual customer service staff. Talk to your sales team. Talk to your customer service manager. Have a look at holistically at the situation. Ask your customer service manager, what were the last compliments received? What are the customers complimenting and appreciating about your business? And in relation to complaints, ask them, what were the last three complaints we received about? Have a look at those complaints personally at those emails. Both compliments and complaints are a very valuable feedback for your business to see what you're doing right or wrong. Don't get defensive. The worst that you can do and the worst that your staff can do is get defensive online. It puts your business into a bad reputation and leaves a bad taste in potential customers' mouth. People, before they come into contact with your business, they will want to see what others are saying online. So how you respond to any negative feedback can make or break your business long-term. What doesn't break your business when you're responding to a complaint is when you can actually resolve it in an amicable manner. What does break your business is attacking the customers, getting defensive and being downright rude, showing lack of respect for their business. When reviewing customers' complaints or compliments about your product or service, have a look for any common themes. For example, is there a, a continuous theme of a poor quality service? Does that happen when a particular staff members are on shift only? Does it happen on a particular day of the week? With your product, are the customers complaining about the quality of your product deteriorating? Are they complaining about the delivery times? Are they complaining about the response times? Take those complaints on board 
to talk to your management team and see what you guys can do to improve the customer experience and improve your business operations. And I'd also encourage you that when you do make any positive change to your business in response to the customer's feedback, don't be afraid to promote it on, the, on your Facebook page or on your social media accounts. Say, you know, we have made the following changes due to our customer feedback. Customers will appreciate it long term that you're taking their feedback on board and you're improving their experiences. Do the same with compliments. Have a look at what is being complimented about your business. Is it, are the customers happy with the value for money that they are receiving? Are they complimenting your customer service? Are they complimenting the easiness within which they can communicate with your business? Are they complimenting their response times? That compliments, those compliments need to be taken on board and they need to be passed to the right staff members so they know that they're being acknowledged for the hard work that they put into your business. Also, have a look at your last 12 months of business and think about what are you doing well with your business at the moment? What are you really proud of that your business is doing well? Perhaps different than the competition or better than the competition. And by the same token, what can be improved? This is not just what's coming from customers, but listen to your staff feedback, to your management feedback, as well as yourself. Next, let's talk about your competition. Are you aware of what your competition is doing in relation to pricing and their product or service strategies? When was the last time you had that analysis? Some businesses do the competitor analysis as part of their business plan at the early stages of the business. But just like your business is evolving over time to meet the customer demands and to survive and thrive in the current economy, so do your competitors. It's always a good idea to check on what they're doing and the pricing and any current promotions that they may have for the customers. But if you don't have the time or if you don't have the resources to do it frequently throughout the year, as a lot of small business owners don't, at least take your time now as we're coming towards the end of the year to have a look at your competitors and what are they doing? Have a look at their price lists, have a look at their current promotions, have a look at their reviews that they're getting from customers and learn from it. There might be some things that your competitors are doing that are working really great for them and they may or may not work for your business, but it's a good opportunity for you to review it and say, well, if my competitor X is doing this thing, is that something that I could implement in my business? I can see that they're being successful and the customers are happy based on their reviews. Is that something I could try in my business? The answer could be a yes or the answer could be, you know, not really based on my business structure and the goals that I'm trying to achieve for my business and my type of customers, it wouldn't particularly work. But do that exercise nevertheless. Then have a look at the price points. What is your competition doing about their price points? Sometimes the prices might be listed on their websites or if it's a local hospitality business, it might be listed on their Facebook page, it might be listed on their menu. You might be able to ring up the business or walk through the business and have a look at their pricing. Maybe there is a current promotion on the radio or TV or a newspaper. Or maybe you got a pamphlet in your mailbox where you can see their current promotions. 
just be aware of what they're doing within the market. That analysis is not only helpful when you're looking at the operational or marketing plans for your business, but it's also an important part in reviewing your product or service costing. For example, if you have a look at your pricing and you see that your prices seem to be way higher than your competitors, then you really need to start looking at your business costs and looking at the business value and the proposition for your customers to still make sure that there is a justifiable price. If your competitors are providing a very comparable product or service at a very comparable um, value and you still cannot match their price, this is a big red flag for you to review your business costs. And here is where we go back to the finance. Are you staying on top of your business costs? So have you done everything you can to control and monitor your business costs without sacrificing on the quality of product or service? This is when it's worthwhile for you to look at your monthly P&L. And if you don't know how to read your profit and loss statement, otherwise known as income and expense statement, again, that's something that we can help you with. So you get a better understanding as numbers don't lie. So have a look at your overheads. The cost of goods sold is important, but that usually changes based on the volume of the product selling. But really, have a look at your overheads. Have a look at how much you're paying for rent, how much you're paying for your staff wages, how much you're spending on marketing and advertising. What's your return on investment on your marketing and advertising? Are you even tracking that? So have a look at your general expenses, your sundry expenses, your travel expenses, staff training. Literally have a look where your money is going and look at your total business costs. Once you've gone through your overheads and you've eliminated any unnecessary or exasperated spending, then look at your cost of goods sold and see what you can do. Is it your storage cost for your product that is costing you too much money? Is it your cost of deliveries? You know, is it your, your PayPal fees or Square fees that are adding up? Is it your shipping costs? Can you negotiate better rates based on your current volume or can you negotiate better rates with a different supplier? This is your opportunity to look at it. Don't just accept your costs as they are and expect to pass them on to your customers. That is not responsible financial management of the business. You have a duty to make sure that you manage your business costs in the best possible manner. And you have the duty to monitor those costs. And if you can keep those costs down without sacrificing the quality of your product or service, then not only are you in a better position to price your products more competitively, but also in your customer's eyes, they will be able to see a better value for money. Not many businesses can price their product or service well. There is a lot of mistakes and that's the last thing that I wanted to touch on in today's podcast. There's a lot of mistakes that businesses make when it comes to pricing the product or service. The first mistake that is very common when it comes to consultants, professional consultants, business consultants, sales consultants, marketing consultants, you name it, 
is pricing something simply because say well I deserve it and unfortunately this if you just look at social media there's so many quotes and so many motivational speakers that go well you know I'm gonna charge X amount of money for my knowledge because I deserve it you know it's it's very much self-inflicted self-worth and it saddens me to see that this is the type of mentality that is spreading across because there's no doubt that you deserve to be paid for your skills knowledge and experience and dedication but in simple terms of economics your product or service is only worth as much as someone else is willing to pay for it I know it might hurt some of you hearing that I know it might be very different to what you know has been embedded into your brain as a pricing strategy but at the end of the day going to basics of economics your product or service is only worth as much as your customer or client is willing to pay for it so this is mistake number one how much your customer or client is willing to pay for it sometimes means you have to test the market a little bit it's not nothing to do with your self-worth obviously assumingly you've got the qualifications and experience and the know-how of doing what you do so there's no doubt about that but there is a bigger picture how much is it worth to your potential customer or client that value rightly or wrongly will determine whether there is a demand for your product or service there's no point of you putting a high price out there because you know of your self-worth and you believe you're worth that money to be paid if you're gonna go out of business because of negative cash flow within your first three years because there's simply not demand not enough demand for your product or service because there's not enough people willing to pay you what you feel that you deserve secondly let's get real and let's look at our current economy and I'm not just talking about the economy in Australia I am talking about economy globally as you are all aware the economy isn't doing very well it's slow in some part of the world world we have declared a recession in other parts of the world like Australia we are currently calling it economic downturn similar in Great Britain or in USA however during those tough economic times when people are you know when your potential customers when your potential consumers are aware of a slowing economy and their businesses are not doing very well or uh, they are individuals on wages and they lack the job certainty and the cost of living is going up they will be very price conscious so again your pricing strategy based on your self-worth is not going to work because consumers are much smarter these days they have access to social media they have access to the internet and very quickly they can compare your product or your service and the value for money they're getting from you versus from your competitors and I'm not just talking about your competitors within other local businesses I'm talking about global competition because of the globalization of the market a customer your potential customer or client can obtain your product or service potentially from anywhere in the world so your competition could be absolutely anywhere 
in the world. So ask yourself, what is your current pricing strategy and why? If you are working in fields like manufacturing, you're producing products, you're more likely to have somebody employed or historically employed, somebody like cost accountant that might have said to you, well, calculate your cost of making that individual product, add your profit margins, and at that point in time, you will arrive at your price. Not a bad strategy to have, not an ideal one, but not a bad one. It's not a, a be all end all strategy. However, if your business costs are too high and you haven't kept them under control, if there is inefficiencies within your manufacturing process or within your distribution process, then your cost of producing the product plus your profit margin and the price at which you arrive may end up being significantly higher than your competitors and again will not represent a great value for your customers. Maybe your pricing strategy is a lot simpler. Maybe when you started your business, you simply looked at what everyone else is doing around you, how much they're charging, and you just arrive at that as your ultimate price point. If that's the case, at least you've got one assurance, and that is that at some point in time you were in line with the competitor pricing. However, there is a couple of problems with that strategy. Well, first of all, Whilst you're comparing the price, you really cannot compare on skill, experience and capabilities. Um, whether we're talking about lawyers, accountants, plumbers, tradies, we all have different levels of experience, different skill sets, different strengths, different weaknesses. And a price list is not necessarily something that will help you make an accurate judgment of that. On the other hand, a customer who has experienced working with you versus your competitor will have a much better grasp on who represents a better value. And ultimately, it's the efficiencies and, you know, going back to customer experience. So think about your pricing strategy at the moment. What is your pricing strategy? Do you even have one? If you do have a pricing strategy, why is that your pricing strategy? And does that pricing strategy still work for your business? Meaning, are you making the desirable profits? Are you giving customers a good value for money? I can tell you from my experience, just living in um, my new areas, I've relocated from Sydney to Cairns, which is up far north Queensland about six months ago. And what I was surprised with to see that most of the service providers and product providers charge a lot more here in a regional town with a much smaller population than what they charge in Sydney prices, which is Sydney being the biggest uh, city in Australia and being known as one of the most expensive cities in the world, a very much compared to that of a cost of living in New York. It was quite a big surprise to me when I first relocated. And surprise, surprise, I've seen a high correlation between the very steep pricing and the number of businesses that are struggling with cash flow and the number of businesses that have been shutting down and going out of business or that have been put up for sale. Now, looking at it from my eyes from 17 years of experience, 
I can very quickly see what they are doing wrong. And one of the first things that I've noticed is that, you know, you have very high pricing. You have small customer demographics. So the population of Cairns is about 160,000 local people. And you have about 500,000 tourists that come every year. So even in areas like hospitality, you might think, well, the tourists are the ones that are going to bring the business in. But again, looking at the global economy and the price points, consumers these days are very much price sensitive. So you putting up really high prices, even for your everyday items like a coffee or a muffin where they can obtain a similar one at McDonald's for half a price, is really not going to drive a lot of business. A common mistake that a lot of business owners make is when they see that they're struggling financially, the first thing that they will do is put up the prices because they think, well, that will cover my cost of running the business. And it is by far the worst strategy you can have because it's one that leads to nowhere. You can't, the higher your prices are, the smaller the number of people that can afford that price point and the smaller the number of people that can be a regular or repeat customers. So as such, your prices go higher and your overall profits go lower. So your profit margins, as in percentage terms, might go up per sale, but your actual physical profits versus your cost of running a business are going down and going into a negative cash flow. The second mistake that I've noticed, which is very much, you know, a culture specific to Cairns, is that everyone here is very relaxed, which is beautiful, but when it translates to lack of returning calls to customers or being too lax in responding to the customers or giving them a quality product or service, at the end of the day, your business will suffer because your customers still expect certain standards, whether you are a hairdresser, a lawyer, um, an accountant, a plumber, any other kind of tradesman, if you don't return the customer's phone calls, if you don't show up when you say you will show up, if you don't quote accurately and don't respond to their inquiries accurately, no matter how relaxed people are, if they need things done or if they need service provided and you're not doing that for them within the expected timeframes or to the expected satisfactory standards, it will cost you a business long term. So when you're looking at your pricing strategy, when you're looking at your business, when you're looking at your cash flow, you have to look at the bigger picture and start putting all of those things together. So it's not just identifying issues in one area, but seeing the domino effect in others. So for example, when you identified in last week's session that there is cash flow problems in your business, and then in this week's session, you looked at your pricing, then that might have a domino effect on your business costing. Or if you looked at your customers not paying you on time and having a lot of debtors, and then you looked at the correlation between the complaints that you might be receiving and the reason for the complaints, you may see a strong correlation there. So it's all about the bigger picture. And I hope that the first three sessions that we have done helped you to zero in on your business and have an in-depth analysis of what is and isn't working and to start to identify the issues that may need to be addressed as we're heading towards the end of 2019 
and early 2020. Now, in our next week's session, we're going to focus on identifying the gap between where your business is now and where you want to be. And the following sessions will focus on being proactive to help your business to move forward into 2020. As always, if you have any questions about running your business or need help with implementing any of the strategies provided in my podcast, please feel free to get in touch. And remember, you deserve the peace of mind that comes from running a profitable and predictable business.